Hello there, Trojan fans. It is I. No, not Ryan Abraham anymore. Grandpa Joe. I don't know. That was Shotgun Spradling. Uh, this is Keely Or. You're listening to the Family Feud Podcast. Um, and uh, that was more of a, a Harry Potter accent than it was like a Grandpa Joe. I've never seen any Harry Potter, so I can't what? be blamed for wow. that. Wow, okay. People are probably still going to blame me for that. But uh, it's uh, episode two of the Family Feud podcast. We're still working on the intro. We don't really know what to do. We so we're just going to mock Ryan yeah. every time until we figure it out. We might have an intro this week. We might not. We'll see. TBD. Um, but uh, thank you guys for listening to our, our introductory podcast. We got a lot of tweets and emails and comments on the message board. So We appreciate the feedback. Yeah. You know, Help us out uh, with you know, your causes and concerns. You know What you like, what you don't. And yeah. uh, we'll take it into consideration. We won't necessarily change anything, but we'll take it into consideration at least. Yeah, I mean, but but I, I think it was a good first opener. Uh, we we tried and we accomplished. So yep, did it. Go into second episode up for uh, Texas week. Uh, Texas on Saturday, uh, a little rematch, if you will. Um, not so much. How much of this do you think is a rematch for the fans versus players? Oh, definitely. This is much more for the fans versus than the players. I mean, a lot of the, not a lot. Some of the players don't remember the game. Some of them were. Stephen Carson, he's six years old, so he didn't. He's like, I don't, I don't really remember. Other players were invested. You know, some of them were their households are Trojan fans. Uh, Sam Darnold said he was really sad because his parents were sad after the game. Chris Hawkins said yesterday he cried. So, so is Stephen Mitchell. Stephen Mitchell cried too. Yeah, not surprising that Stephen Mitchell and Chris Hawkins cried. I mean, they're both like the same person now, aren't they? I mean, now they're wearing the four, number four. The four duo. Yeah, they're, they're they're good friends. You know. Uh, it's good to see Stephen Mitchell, you know, have a really good game last game as well. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I think it's more important for the fans for sure. I think it's more like the eleven-year itch, not the seven-year itch. The Maryland Monroe, no, no, wide over the head, right over it. Yeah, figures. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, I think it's it's definitely the fans that are going to be way more intrigued by this than the players, and necessarily, and as far as the rematch and all that. Some of the players will remember it, but I think it, I think the fans are going to be. All about it, and I think it's going to be sure. great yeah. with the you know a packed house. You know, it seems like there's more Texas fans coming in late, buying up some of the secondary market tickets. So maybe we'll see some burnt orange out there to go with the Cardinal and Gold. It should be a raucous environment. I'm looking forward to it. You know, these are the type of games you love covering. Yeah, uh, for sure. Because especially with the night, you know, the light, the action of the nice lights. Little September breeze, maybe. No, we'll, we'll stay away from that. <laughs> I, I, well, I might need a September breeze. I was, you know, quite warm after that game from sprinting back and fourth on the sideline my hamstrings i need to ice them down after the game or something you know uh, i should have took an ice bath with, with one of the, you I know mean, i would have i would have been down for an ice bath it was <laughs> it was brutal um but shall we get into our first segment? let's do it uh stock up stock down and if you remember from last week this could be coaches players strategy uh pretty much anything stock up stock down shall we get into stock up shotgun who you got i mean you got to start with the offensive line i mean they those guys were just mauling the the defensive line from stanford stanford's supposed to be known for their physicality usc controlled the line they controlled the trenches on both sides but particularly the offensive line and particularly chris brown I mean, he was just yeah, dominating, sure. guys. Dominating. <laughs> I mean, the, the Stephen Carr run is the, probably the most, uh, you know, the most notable example because they showed the behind, 
uh, view on, from the, the spider cam. And I show where he just completely collapsed down the line and, and opened up this gigantic gaping hole that you could run like uh, probably a semi truck through sideways. I mean, that's how wow. wide the hole was. Okay. Yeah, it was Not huge. Not quite sure about that, but huge. Yeah. No, it was huge. It was huge. I didn't say the trailer too, but at least the semi truck mm, itself. Okay, here we go. <laughs> But yeah, Chris Brown had a monster game. He's a guy that, you know, there was the one guy that I had a question mark on going into the season, and he definitely proved himself in this game. I give him a lot of props. You know, uh, I think he was, it was, he was the, the biggest impetus to that offensive line dominating that game. Yeah, I originally had Chris Brown as my stock up, and then I changed it to the whole O-line, because you got you to give him credit. But, but Chris Brown not only played through a bloody nose, because his helmet was too big and then got smashed into his nose, and then he was like, I had to put like one of those tampon things up my nose. And I was like, why are you stealing all your good stuff from Hurt on the sidelines? Oh, shoot. Yeah, <laughs> that wasn't in my Hurt on the sidelines. But yeah, and then he not only that, but he was uh, playing with a cold. He played with a cold last week, playing through it this week. So he needs to play with a cold all the time if that's how he's going to play. So, but I interviewed him and I was like, please don't get me sick. Because like, if you know me, I get sick or, all or the time. Anything. Yeah. Uh, lack of sleep kind of does that to you. Nah, I'm, I'm not good. to you. Um, uh, yeah, so the, uh, the offensive line was my stock up, so that's my cop out. You can go. With oh, you're just gonna cop out? Okay, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll go to the next. My next one is Jalen Green. Uh, I know a lot of people oh, complaining oh, about him after the first week. I think he showed himself. He had a great catch with a defender all over him for a first down in the game. He only had one catch. I think he only had one target, but he also was was dominate, dominating the uh, the blocks on the outside. You know, he was creating some space for those running backs to run. And especially after how much everybody was on him the first week, I thought he really improved in stock the second week. He played the second, uh, the fourth quarter, excuse me, they played, they had 22 offensive snaps. 18 of those were runs. He played all 22 snaps instead of rotating with anybody that they wanted him in there to block, and he did a great job. Interesting. Uh, to kind of compliment that, I guess, my stock up is Steven Mitchell, mm-hmm. already mentioned. Uh, Four receptions for 94 yards, two touchdowns. To me, he emerged as that second guy. You know, you had Deontay Burnett already established. I think there was a lot of search for the second guy. You can't just target Deontay for the whole night. And Steven really kind of stepped up as that uh, as that guy. Um, and, I mean, good for him for second ACL surgery, and he's going down getting a 49-yarder. He, he told me that he didn't see the ball until five seconds before it was in his hands. He had no clue where it was. He said – Five seconds is a long time. Maybe it meant like 0.5 seconds. Because like when he, you see the, the Kevin Cardin, uh, you know, a friend of Scout, had a really great f- uh, photo that USC actually tweeted out, and you see the ball is coming. It goes past the defender and is coming into the cradle that, that Stephen Mitchell has, and it doesn't look like he's got a great, uh, you know, he doesn't have his eyes straight on the ball at that time. So I think it, it was like like this was that he saw it rather than five seconds. Five seconds, the entire play lasted five seconds. Okay, sure. I'm going off of what Stephen told me, so that's what he said. I'm just helping correct him. Okay. There, there Friend of the program, Stephen Mitchell. We really root for him because yeah, of how much he's been he's through. A great guy. You know, I, I, we said this on the Facebook Live yesterday, but we we don't root for the team. We don't care if they win or lose. We're rooting for those good storylines. And Stephen Mitchell is one of those guys that's been through a lot in his career. You know, the the ACL injury during the summer of his freshman year before he even got here. Uh, and then the one last year, and he's worked his way back up. And, you know, a lot of people saying that he shouldn't be in there last week. Uh, and look what he did. Yep. He said, I'm not listening to you haters. Block out the haters. I don't know. Go. You got, Stop. You got the hater blockers on. Yeah. What's your second or your third? Third. I got Josh Fatu. I thought he had a really good yeah, game. Yeah. I thought, you know, he had a sack in the game, one of USC's two sacks. I thought the, the first play kind of set the tone 
uh, for the defense. He broke through the line and you know tackle for loss. Uh, the first play that Stanford, first offensive play they had, I thought he was really good in the game. You know, especially when Marlin going down. Yeah. Uh, and Kenichi Udazi after the game said, you know, that was one of the guys that he pointed out as having a good game. So I thought Josh Fatu, you know, especially after he kind of lost his starting position because. Yeah. Uh, Marlon Tuipolotu took over the nose tackle position, and Josh Fatu was moved to the other defensive tackle, defensive end position opposite of Rasheem Green that they used in the base, which we won't see a ton of this week. Uh, but with Marlon out, you'll see Fatu back in there starting at nose tackle. Yeah, he had a lot of uh, good plays at, the good, at a good time. You know, like you mentioned, that first play kind of set the tone, and then he had that, uh, I think, third quarter sack? Yeah, third quarter. I think maybe the first play of the second half for the Stanford offense. Yeah. First play Fatu. He's like, he's like the, yeah, there you go. <laughs> got a nickname out of it. Wow. Who else do you got on stock up? Um, for a second week in a row for me, Reed Butterbitch. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, maybe his stock plateaued. No, actually, I'm going to say his stock got even higher this week because, hold on. First off, he's averaging almost 50 yards a punt. Um, he's only had five punts, so as far as like college football stats, he actually doesn't have enough punts. Doesn't qualify. Yeah, he doesn't qualify. But if he did, hey, U- USC fans will not mind if he by the end of seasons ends he doesn't qualify because he doesn't have enough punts. That, that's a great point. Yeah, but if he did qualify, he'd be second in the nation, second uh, to Johnny Townsend of Florida, averaging fifty-four yards. He's almost ad- averaging fifty. Uh, Reed. Not only that, not just getting done on punts, he's now the backup place kicker. And uh, interesting enough, Reed actually didn't punt until he got to USC. He was a place kicker in high school, um, so he has experience, and he got time this week. Um, if he, if for some reason Chase McGrath happens to go down and USC has really bad luck at place kicker, he's your guy. Yeah, and I talked to him after the game just briefly. I was like, oh, really tough workload for you this, this game. And he kind of joked in, uh, him and Haw about it. But he, he said, you know, it's tough because you want to be out there, you want to play, but then as a punter, like, you don't want your offense to need you. Yeah. So it's kind of that, you know, that uh, the variance of roles there. But now if you, you get a place, if he becomes the, the backup place kicker and needs to come in, they don't want to play all the time. Yeah, it's, it's a win-win. Yeah. Uh, I got one more. I've got Uchenna Nwosu was a monster. Yours yeah. as well? Yeah, Your yeah. final one as well? Uh, no, I actually have another one. Oh, okay. So <laughs> Uchenna Nwosu was a monster in that game. Five pass breakups the first times uh, or the most since, what, 2004, which was a DB. Yes. Uh, he, he also had a sack in that game. He was blowing by the offensive line. They could not. They, could, they had no chance against him. He was so good that game. That's probably uh, – he was, he was just special in that game. I, I wrote I, that he made Keller Chris life miserable. <laughs> He did. Uh, I asked Johnny Nansen yesterday. He just said he was unbelievable. It was, he just stopped. He paused. He's like, I said, how good was Lieutenant Wilson that game? He was unbelievable. Yeah. And then he went on and talked about him. He said, you know, it's great to see him for the, the trials and tribulations he's gone through in his career, being a special teams person, player the first year, uh, being, going to a junior college his spring semester of his uh, freshman year. Uh, because he got, I can't remember if he got kicked out of school or there was just an, there was a the academics. No, he had a off-field incident, oh. so he decided to leave the school for a semester. He came back. Uh, don't know the the full gist of that, but just the way he's worked in his career and, and built himself up, you know, he, he's uh, become one of the indispensable players on that defense. He was a monster in that game. Yeah, and I mean Clancy sold out for being aggressive and being the, what Clay said, the most aggressive game plan he saw in his 20-something years of coaching, which Clay says things like that a lot <laughs> lately. Um, but if you're, if you're going to do that, you got to bring it, and you kind of brought it. Which is- yeah, they got him one-on-one uh, opportunities, and he took advantage of them for sure. They couldn't block him. Um, my final stock up is Tyler Petit. 
Um, in light of the Daniel Imatorbebe news about how they're kind of shutting him down for now just to get that hip flexor, groin, thigh, whole issue settled out, um, he did a really good job against Stanford. Uh, that's, he did a good job blocking, and he also uh, – what, what am I going to say? He had three receptions for 35 yards, which he actually is third on the team for uh, yards receiving. So I'll Yeah, he's up. been a consistent guy the first two weeks. I thought he was really good in this game. Um, my, we'll go ahead and just move over to stock down. Daniel oh. Mornabebe was on my stock down just because of that's kind of a cop out. That's not a cop out. His, his stock was way high after that first game. You know, I the offense so. was dominant when he was in the game. Now his stock takes a hit because he's not going to be in the game anymore. Uh, so you know, I've got injury guys lined up on my stock down because it was hard to find stock down. That, yeah, that's my other, yeah, yeah. I had a lot. I mean, honorable mention to Andrew, Andrew Voorhees. For stock up. Yeah. He I mean, he stepped job. in, and, you know, when Chuma, his wrist was injured. Chuma actually played an, a snap before he went to the sideline uh, with the wrist injury. I saw him kind of clutch it when I was rewatching the game. He plays one snap and just dominates a guy with one hand. So, I mean, granted the play was away from him, but the guy came at him, and Chuma just left-handed him and just stuck him out away from the play, and the guy had no chance of going anywhere. Uh, then he went off. Andrew Voorhees finishes off that drive. I think it was four plays. He steps right in. Like, nothing happened. They weren't, like, the broadcasters, I don't even know if they mentioned it very much that, that he was in, whereas if someone would have blown by and made a tackle, they would have been like, oh, there's a freshman in and this is what's happening. No, they didn't even notice him. I mean, I don't know that a lot of uh, people even noticed that, that Schumann actually went out of that game. Andrew Voorhees just stepped right in. Just like last week when Vianney had an equipment issue, uh, he steps right in the right guard, this time right tackle. He has no issues. So, I, I know he, he's doing a great job. He's uh, worked his way. He's the number six guy on that offensive line. Anybody goes down, you'll see Voorhees go into the game, whether yeah. it be into either the tackle positions or guard positions, or if the center were to go down, then you'd see Toa move in more than likely, and he would take over that left tackle position. So, uh, you know, Andrew Voorhees is working his way up, and, you know, if anybody gets hurt, he's the guy. Yeah, it's a good sign when you have a lot of stock-ups. After a game. Yeah, that's definitely a, a, that's definitely a positive. Uh, much more than the first game where, where there were some concerns. Uh, also on my stock down, I got Porter Gustin, uh, you know, just yeah. because we don't know if he's going to play. Uh, so in, in contrast, you can get you can say stock up for Connor Murphy because he's likely going to get some more playing time this week. Uh, anybody else you got? Yeah, my stock down one took a different different route than you did. I said stock down on a Jenny on pump return. Now, I'm mm, a big Jane Harris fan. I think he's come out this year with a lot of energy, a lot of effort on every single play. He's always cheering guys on. I just – I think he's a great runner. I just don't – the whole catching, decision-making part is on him for punt return, I'm just – I think something needs to change. I yeah, think I something think, needs to get figured out. I think he just needs to attack the punts more, go catch the ones. Uh, if you're backed up – and granted, give the defense credit for – Forcing Stanford to punt, something that we discussed last week was was not a uh, was not a common thing. Yeah. Uh, the last few times USC played Stanford, uh, so but a lot of times it was near the near midfield when they forced the punt. So a lot of times you're having that issue with, do I catch it? Do I let it go? How close am I? I mean, he catches the one when he's on the five yard line. That's the one you got to let go over your head. Um, you know, I, I had stocked down Michael Brown because he went from being the scholarship guy that's going to start to now he's just doing kickoffs. Now he gets injured on the kickoff. You know, yeah. you hate to see that for a guy. He's down. One of the others I had stocked down was uh, intellectual brutality. Wow. Because okay. that's all. That's what Stanford has in their shirts, the home yeah, of intellectual yeah, yeah, brutality, true. all this. And what happened? 
they got dominated in the trenches uh, by USC. So all your intellectual brutality, you can take it to next year, uh, or maybe even the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, the Stanford's got some work to do on the lines. You know, their offensive line was not—I uh, didn't think they were very good, or maybe it was just USC's defense making great plays. But there were times Rasheem Green was getting double teamed. He he beat both guys wow. to get uh, some pressure on Keller Chris, and then their defensive line. You know, they got Harrison Phillips. He got worn down in that game. Uh, besides that, nobody else really made a bunch of plays. Uh, they, were, they weren't able to get much pressure on Sam Darnold. There was a couple plays where, you know, he actually took a hit. One of the interceptions was one of those, the first interception. Uh, when they were able to get some pressure, it changed uh, the game for Sam Darnold. Um, so I didn't think they were very good in the trenches, so I got stocked down intellectual brutality. Wow, look at that. Uh, in a similar vein, I guess, my stock down is on Pactal reps. Oh, God. <laughs> it was so bad. It was so bad. I, I okay on the on the kick return at the end of the first. I tweeted about this. People co- confirmed, and I confirmed later in the week. There was a whistle. Yeah. It, 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 plain as day, whistle, and and you could kind of see USC's players kind of let up because. That's what I did. I kind of let up on the filming the play. I was like, okay, it's going to be dead. And then Never also, let up, Keely. I know. I've actually learned that the hard way because sometimes I think a play's dead and all of a sudden, like, crazy things happen. So I always, always wait. You never know who's going to fumble or do whatever. Um, but, yeah, the fall – and then the start of the second, the fall start on, on Stanford that they missed, the Port Augustine personal foul oh, call. The Port Augustine personal foul was the worst. It was it was trash. Garbage. Garbage. There was also – there was also a – Potential intentional grounding they didn't call. You should yeah. have had a guy. Was, I and, lost track of, of. There were several calls that were just. And I, I don't like to bag on, on the referees because I know it's a very tough thing, but come on. Yeah. Come on, man. That was, that was terrible. <laughs> yeah, I think you just spiked our, our audio. Spiked feed. it? Oh, well. Um, now to, I think, kind of my favorite segment a little bit. I don't know. Every segment is my favorite. Kind of a little bit. Good. Good uh, clarification there. Thank you. Uh, heard it on the sideline. You know, uh, as we just mentioned, Shaka and I are on the sideline for the game. We're also on the sideline during practice, and we get a different vantage point, so we get to hear some things that some people don't or see things that people don't get to see. So, Shaka, what do you got for heard it on the sideline? I was going to go with Chris Brown's bloody nose. Uh, you know, I don't think a lot of people notice that. I got some good pictures of him with kind of blood all over uh, his nose and mouth area. Um, but again, the guy just played through it and was dominant. And then you actually were on the sideline for, or you talked to him about that incident. <laughs> yeah. What did he have to say? Yeah. He was like, I don't know. It's kind of embarrassing. He was like, yeah, I don't know. They like stuck that cotton thing on my nose, like a tampon. I don't know. You know. And I was like, no, I don't. I was like, what? so yeah, that was a little weird, but yeah. They have like a gauze stick, I think. That yeah. is similar to uh, how a tampon is formed, I guess. I don't know. Or they could just use tampons because like that's the, been the, used. She's the man, the rom com. Have you seen that? No. Oh, no. okay. <laughs> I don't watch movies. Okay, but in the in the thing, she they ca- whatever it doesn't matter. But <laughs> <laughs> she's trying to be a guy, and then they catch her with tampons, and then she's like, "Oh, I used it for bloody noses," and then she sticks up her nose, and the whole soccer team uses it for the bloody nose. So maybe Chris Brown watched she's It's man. true. I mean, you get a lot Someone of someone back noses. me up on this on Twitter because Shocking <laughs> <laughs> doesn't understand. What else did you hear on the sidelines? Okay, this I wanted to tweet this, but I didn't really know how to like get this um, across. This is a good. Uh, this is why I like heard on the sidelines. I kind of just say things that I see. Uh, Michael Hutchings was on the sidelines for USC. So we talked to him a little bit after the game. Yeah, he flagged me down too. He was like, "Hey," I was like, "Who is shouting my name?" Um, 
And uh, he was, towards the end of the game, he started creeping up more in the bench. He was kind of like in the defensive area. And then, and then I saw him after the field, or after the game on the field with Chris Hawkins. He looked like he had missed no time, was celebrating the win with everyone else. Like he was still a player. Like him and Chris were talking about like what happened in the game. It was just really funny because they're best friends. I mean, uh, Chris has told me that uh, when Michael Hutchings' father passed away, uh, Chris was the first person that, that Mike called. Um, the roommates are still roommates now, so they're really close. Um, so it was cool to see them interacting like old times. I'm all for nostalgia, and so having a rehash of that was pretty fun to see. Michael Hudgens, another friend of the program. Uh, you yeah, know, he's it, great. it was good. See, it's always good seeing him. You know, he's doing really well for himself right now. He showed interesting decision. You know, he may have had an opportunity in the NFL. You saw a lot of the guys, even you know, some of the guys who didn't play last year, had an opportunity to play and made practice squads. Mike said, you know what, I'm, you know, I'm not really interested in that. I know I'm not going to have a long career in the NFL, so I'm going to go ahead and start my professional career. And looks like he's been doing well for himself so far. Yeah, he showed up to practice one day in a suit. Ooh, and looking, he, he was looking fresh. He was. And Iman Marshall was like, I've never seen you look like that before. You know how like Iman's voice kind of like, like shrieks? He, was like, bit, he yeah. was like, oh my gosh, like, I haven't seen you like that. So it was funny. What else you got? You got anything? I got a Clancy Pendergrass emotion. Oh, so, breaking news. You know, and Clay even mentioned this, kind of stole my thunder a little bit earlier oh. this week, uh, maybe on a Trojan Live. Um, but he talked about how Clay, or how he thought Clancy showed more emotion. And I kind of noticed it, you know, after, after some big stops, he was dapping up some of his defenders. You know, he was giving high fives type of, type of thing. He was really uh, invested in the game. And I talked to Uchenna, kind of asked him afterwards, he's like, oh, yeah, he really wanted this one. You know, and he's had success against Stanford in the past when he was at Cal, you know, several years ago. Um, so, you know, he is, He also is a, was the upset with uh, Coteau. He was the yes. coordinator. So, you know, he's had some success, but, you know, this game meant a lot to him. He wanted to get this win, and he was showing some emotion on the sideline, which I thought was very interesting how, much, how invested he was in this game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as far as, like, the whole Texas rivalry or matchup thing, Stanford, I feel like, was bigger for these guys. Much bigger. Much Just bigger. because... It's recent memory. I mean, also, a lot of pain points for USC in the program happen after a USC game. I mean, a, a Stanford game. <laughs> Most of them happen after a USC game. <laughs> oh, man. After a Stanford game. I mean, the Justin Wilcox-Stanford championship game. The Stanford game last year made the switch to, to Sam. I mean, obviously, that was going to happen, but, you know, it was – Interesting. Yeah, and you know they the players obviously were felt the Stanford game much more than they will the Texas game because yeah. they personally had lost to Stanford. Yeah, exactly. They had lost several times to them. Several of the guys that were playing, you know, guys like Chuma or Nico, is their first time when they were actually playing that they that USC had beat Stanford. So that that meant a lot to them to get that win, and you know, especially the way they did it. The way that yeah, they were able yeah. to run the ball down their throat and stop Stanford's run in the second half, I thought that meant a lot to the players. And, you know, they showed some emotion about it, you know, more so than maybe you would see in that Western Michigan game or something. There was a lot of smiles after that game, uh, after beating Stanford and, and getting that kind of that, that burden off their shoulders of, of beating them. Yeah. My last hurt on the sideline was a, a personal hurt on the sideline. So I was – uh, filming at the far end uh, where the band is, you know, that hole where the, like, bougie seats are. The far end, yes. I don't know. I don't know which west, north, east, south. <laughs> Shotgun's rolling his eyes at me. Oh, yeah, that's a good descriptor. There you go. So I was looking around because, you know, sometimes there's ce- celebrities in the in the little bougie seats or whatever. I don't know what they that's are. Where that's where Miley Cyrus was when yeah. she famously was making out on the sideline yes. during the Arizona or Cal game. So I look over. And I make eye contact with this guy, and I was like, what? And then it was Rob Lowe. And I'm like, 
And I, oh, my girlfriend is going to be excited to hear that Rob Lowe or mad that she was not there. Okay, so I couldn't help myself. Like, you know when you realize you're, like, staring at someone that you've, like... Because I watched... Not only did I watch West Wing, where he was Sam, I watched Parks and Rec, where he was Chris Traeger. Uh, you're no character name. I don't even know anybody's <laughs> character name in shows. Whatever. You know random facts that I don't care about. I don't <laughs> watch TV, so... Much. Um, so I made this face, like, oh, it's you. And he kind of, like like laughed and smiled and nodded at me. I was just like, oh my gosh. Like his eyes are just like so blue, even bluer than on TV. So there's my little fun fact. Wow. Yeah. So your girlfriend can be jealous. She will be. She loves the Rob Lowe audio tapes. I don't, I don't know. He's not... had a bunch, he's had several audio tapes where he just tells about his life. Oh, He's interesting. an interesting character. Apparently so. Okay. Uh, you got anything else for her? That's it for her on the sidelines for me. Okay. Let's go into keep it, change it. What should USC keep from. Ooh, I like the variation on offense. You know, they oh. use... Ooh. How dare you? Continue, go. <laughs> Just seeing your face there. <laughs> oh, so upset. Uh, that was definitely a little sister moment there. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know, this is the Family Feud podcast because Keely and I have a sibling-type relationship. Yeah. She's like the little sister. I tell her what to do. No, shotgun's my stupid, annoying older brother. <laughs> Whatever. So anyways, the variation on offense. You know, it, they use some two-back formation with Vi and said where. They use some empty sets where it was just Sam Darnold. Sometimes it was uh, they had some where it was four wide receivers and the tight end split out. I believe there was once it was five wide receivers out. Uh, I like that they were doing some different things, yeah. forcing uh, Stanford to adjust to some things that they hadn't seen yet. Yeah. Um, Build off that because I know you were you were upset about it. When they when they first brought out that two back set with uh, said and and Vi, I was like, ooh, okay, like because I didn't I don't think we even saw that in practice. I don't know that we saw it in practice. However, we've seen them do some two back sets before. They did some last year. I mean, uh, opening yeah. in the Alabama game, you had Sed Ware and uh, Ronald Jones. I remember that just because they were the Texas boys were both in there together. Yeah. So they had done it. They didn't have much success with it last year. I thought they had a lot more success th- with this, and maybe it's because both Vi and Sed can block a little bit better yeah. than, than some of the others. So it doesn't give it away that hey, if we run two backs and you know one of them's Vi and one of them's Stephen Carr, or if it's Sed and Rojo together, that Obviously, the bigger back's going to potentially block. Now, I would like to see them throw some from it. I think they'll build off that. You yeah. know, a lot of times you, you, you show a formation at the beginning of the year, and then you start adding to it. You'll add, okay, now we'll do some play action off of it. Now we'll do this off of it, and you start adding a, a different play each week off of a variation or do different sets to go with it. Uh, so, yeah, I like seeing that. Uh, what, what well, else also, well, also, it was just a way to get – I like – you, I think said and where, or said and where. Said and where. <laughs> wow, it's a long day. Uh, said and Vi should see the field, but there's just so much talent. That's a nice way to have them still feel, see the field and have them feel like, okay, they have something, something a package for them. You know? Yeah, Dylan McCullough asked him, actually, um, I asked him uh, on Tuesday, I said, do you have a set number of touches you want to get? Do you have a set rotation for the running backs? He was like, no, but we have certain packages because we want all – he has faith in all four of those guys, and he wants them to be involved. He said, guys, when, they're, when they have certain packages for each player, then they know that they're going to be involved in the game plan, that they're that more invested in the team, invested in the film room to point yeah. out things to other guys. So, yes, I, I agree with that. And, you know, I think it's great when you have those certain packages for guys. Now – you can't always just, all right, well, said and Vi are in the game. That means they're going to run it. That's what I'm saying. you got to build yeah, off of yeah, as yeah. well and have the, those other things. What else do you have on, heard on the sidelines? Uh, you mean keep it? Oh, Steve, oh, <laughs> we're past the security on the sidelines. See, I told you it's a long day. Uh, nah, we're just getting started. <laughs> I like having just Carlos, 
Carr as the second back. You, they made that switch. I like it. You got to do it. He's good. He's, he's really he's good. He's a good player. I mean, it helps it's when you have a that. a cop out for Kiva, but that's. I mean, it helps when you have that Mack truck sideways that you can run through for 52 yards. Yeah, that's also helpful. You helpful. Know? But he did have some tough yards as well. Uh, one of the other things I had for Keep It is the deep ball connection. You mm. got it. You got to yeah. hit on that. We touched on it in the Facebook Live, but the deep ball just expands the offense, expands the defense, makes them play a little bit deeper on some things. The safeties can't come in the box as much. Yeah. And hitting Stephen Mitchell, even though it was one play, they had two chances. Sam missed him uh, earlier in the game, and he missed Valus in the first game. If they can hit a couple of those, I think that's something they have to incorporate in the offense. Even if you don't hit, you know, it, it still opens up a little bit. But then when you hit one or two of those, it changes the offense so much. Then Deontay Burnett becomes that much more effective doing yeah. all the underneath stuff. And keep it I, – I didn't put it on my list, but keep it Deontay Burnett. I mean, that kid was unreal yeah. in that game. The catch on the sideline, I got a great photo of it. I was so happy that he caught it just because I had a great photo of it. But, you know – Selfish just, reason. He laid out, and the first photo that I took in the sequence – the ball seems like it's like four or five yards away, and he's just now leaving his feet. He he left across the air. Just it was an incredible diving catch, uh, and he makes a you know it seems like he makes one of those type of catches every game. He does yeah. something that you you are like this guy's not. And Chris Hawkins even talked about it, he's not the biggest, not the yeah. fastest, not going to run by you, but he's just so smart. He knows where to be, and he catches every single Spider-Man. thing. Just like, I yeah. mean that I called it the selfie catch because if you looked at where he got the ball, it looked like he was taking a selfie. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, the uh, the third down catch he had later in the game, yeah. not the touchdown catch. I yes. mean, and that's the other thing is that he's kind of getting a. I mean, like everyone appreciates him, but he's getting underrated for the critical plays he's been making. I mean, the Western Michigan game, he made critical third down plays that would have killed drives that USC which needed. did the other receivers that they didn't make those catches did kill the drives. Yeah, so I mean, he he is very valuable. Yeah, I mean, the, the catch he made, I, please rewatch that and watch when Sam starts to deliver the ball. This is how it shows how much trust he has in Deontay Burnett because Deontay Burnett's probably, and the defender is all over him on that play. The third down catch that he catches with one hand, all over him. And he's about four yards away from the spot where he's going to stop at. And, and Sam Darnold starts making his throw. And he makes the throw. And if Deontay Burnett puts his hands down, then the DB picks it, takes it to the house. Six, pick six. Wow. Because he was all over the play. He was there. Deontay Burnett, and it shows the extra strength that he's added as well. I mean, he's still not the biggest guy, obviously, but he's added 10, 15 pounds of muscle since he got to USC. He kind of stiff arms the guy with his left hand and then makes the catch with his right hand and just to perfect tip. Off the fingertips, tips it to himself, turns, you know, picks up 30-something yards, I think, on the play. It was an, an impeccable play. <laughs> impeccable. That's the thing he's been doing since he got here. I mean, when he truly was, impeccable. Wow, you and your accents today. But like, even when he was a blue shirt for PRPs, he was making those crazy plays. That's yeah, when he, I put my stock in Deontay Burnett. Great catches, and that also told me about the pressure some of the guys were under in the Rose Bowl because he actually dropped a, a pass in that game. And I was like, wow. Y- you know. You know that you know that there's some nerves when Deontay Burnett drops a pass. Yep. Uh, do you got anything for? Keep it? That's it for me. I'll keep it. Okay, so I have – this has kind of been building up, I guess, if you will, but I like the defensive linemen being disrupted in the form of getting their hands up, and that's the Kenichi Udezi effect. I mean, that, that we saw that last year, um, but you're really seeing it in these first two games. The linemen, they just always put their hands up. They're always trying to bat balls down. They have uh, – for the past two games, they have 16 uh, disrupted passes, which is good. Um, you turn to Uh, what was that? He had four, five pass breakups. Yeah. Thank you. Um, 
So, I mean, that's just the Kenichi Udesi effect. You didn't really see that from the D-lineman beforehand. That, um, this was something that was an emphasis going into this game. They actually saw on tape, I, I talked to Uchenna, I talked a little bit with, with KU uh, yesterday, uh, Uchenna after the game, he said that that was something they noticed on tape with Keller Chris. said the release point was a little bit lower, the, the trajectory is a little bit lower, so that's something they saw on tape. So Uchenna knew that if he didn't get there, if he, you know, he was blowing by guys, but if perchance they actually blocked him on a play, uh, he knew to get his hands up when he saw the motion start because the release point was a little bit lower. Keller Chris is a big dude, but apparently the, the, when he releases the ball, it was actually a little bit further in front of his body than some of the other quarterbacks who put a little more air, and they throw the ball a little bit higher, closer to their head uh, when they release the ball rather than in front of the body. So they saw that on tape, and it was something they attacked and gave him a lot of credit. Rasheem Green also was there. I think he had three or four pass breakups. So those guys were, were really good in that game, and I, I agree. That's something you have to continually, and that's, that just shows you how much attention to detail they're putting when they're watching tape. Yeah, no, it definitely shows up because like when I do highlights, I pull a shotgun, and I'm just like, I just see how many passes are batted down or, or at least like tipped or anything, and it's, it makes a difference. And even some of the plays that they didn't tip, I mean, there was plays where Rasheem Green's hitting the guy. There were there had to be at least seven plays where the Keller Chris got a throwaway while someone had their hands touching him. Yeah. Because they they were so close, and, and yeah, KU yeah, yeah. and KU and Giant Anson and some of the players like it's a little frustrating. They admitted that you know they got so close on, on a number of plays and weren't able to get more than two sacks, and one of those was actually he threw the ball, but it was intentional grounding. Uh, so they were close a lot of times. So you know I, I wouldn't be surprised at the pass rush. You know with a little bit if especially if Erlinger is the, the starting quarterback this week for Texas, yeah. uh, a little bit less experienced if the pass rush is able to get a couple more sacks this week. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, are you done with keep it? Yes, I am done. Let's move it with a change it. Change it. I want to eliminate the big play. You got to change that if you're USC's defense. See, but is that just a, is that just what you get with having an aggressive defense? Are you gonna uh, have that? They, they, Chris Hawkins yeah, even he, said, he, you know, right. they, they missed they filled the wrong gap. You know, well, he was a, like from the beginning, it was just wrong. It yeah. was, yeah. And he said it was the right play call against the defense they had, but they didn't. Uh, they who had, I think it was John Houston and Marvell Tell. I know it was Marvell Tell that kind of ran into another defender. Uh, and the, the offensive lineman just let him go that way and took him in and kind of was able to block two guys, and there was this huge hole for Bryce Love. He never got touched on that play. So, you know, that's the type of plays you have to eliminate. If you, yeah. may, if you miss a tackle and stuff, you know, that's one thing, but if a guy just goes untouched, that's a completely different. That's like the Christian McCaffrey touchdown last year against USC, uh, you know, where they just busted a coverage. This was a busted uh, gap assignment uh, or gap assignment and alignment, so you got you to gotta eliminate those big ones. Yeah. Um, I have more discipline in the form of penalties. USC is averaging 92 yards of penalties. And I know we just earlier mentioned how <laughs> trash the rest were. So I guess that's a cop out and it's early. But I mean, there are, there were some plays that, you know, they need to clean up. Helton said they're handsy a little bit. Um, he's been saying that from the beginning at the first scrimmage of fall camp when they had refs, he was like, we're too handsy. And now they're still a little too handsy. Um, but I think that it's going to, you can't have that many penalties at some point, it is going to catch up to you. Yeah. you, you got to eliminate the, the plays like the hands to the face, the defensive lineman. You know, a lot of times they're trying to grab the neck plate. Uh, the neck. Of, the neck plate <laughs> of the jersey. And try that. we talked about Leonard Williams, how he's able to control guys with, with one arm and make a, a tackle. Those on Trojans Live. Sorry, are on the, our Facebook Live. 
Well, they're all running together now. But, See? but Leonard Williams was so good at being able to control a guy with one long arm and then be able to make tackles with his other arm or be able to control the offensive lineman and move him with a, with a stiff uh, arm. Um, they try to grab the neck, where the, the nape of the neck, or not the nape of the neck, the, the front of the breastplate. Wow, like that's some like wrestling, awful what? MMA. The no, nape the, of the neck. The nape like... of the neck is how you pick up a puppy. Okay. Uh, so you grab the breastplate uh, right where the you know where the opening is in the front, and then you are able to you know shift an offensive lineman that way. And but sometimes you slip and you miss. You get your hands up in the face. You get a penalty. You got to eliminate those type of penalties. Uh, you know you're going to get your pass interferences occasionally. Um, and that was another one that the Pac-12 refs missed. That Iman Marshall should have been called for a pass interference on Colby Parkinson yeah, in the end yeah. zone. They missed that one. We don't say they were just all bad against USC. There was no, some they missed. were just across the board. Yeah, bad. they were bad. <laughs> Uh, so, so yeah, you, you got to eliminate some of those. Uh, not a ton of false starts. You know, they got rid of that. Uh, that was a big issue last year against yeah. Stanford, yeah. and there was talk about how Stanford was, you know, uh, mocking the the snap count. That's the Utah thing. Utah did that too. Utah does it as well, but Stanford was the one that they talked about it afterwards. After they, they talked about like, it in Utah they had too. Had like what seven false starts that game it was ridiculous. Uh, so you, those weren't the, the big issue of this game, but the, you know, definitely you got to you got to turn those penalties down. You got anything for Tanya? Uh, I still want to see a little bit more substitution on D. You know, yeah. I understand why they didn't do it this week. They only ran 54 plays, which is not a ton. Yeah. Um, and, but you had guys like Rasheem Green, like I said, Rasheem Green, Uchenna Nwosu, Port Augustine, Cam Smith, and Marvell Tell. Those five guys, they didn't come out, I don't believe, um, off the top of my head. I'd have to look at the chart for sure. But I know Rasheem Green, for one, didn't come out. I would like to see... You know, especially once you get up 42-24, I'd like to see, you know, sub one guy here, one guy there. Doesn't have to be the wholesale, you know, we're putting the whole second team in. But, you know, every once in a while for, for a three-play series or whatever, put, you know, someone puts Connor Murphy in for Porter. Put Wally in for well. each Well, we're going to see Connor Murphy this week more than likely um, with Porter Gustin having surgery on his toe uh, and, you know, being questionable at best, I think, this game because yeah, he had surgery. I, I, I don't think he – I mean, unless Porter is like some crazy painless mountain man, which could be probable with Porter. Uh, you, I just don't think – he had surgery on a Wednesday. You're, pl- you're putting all your, your weight on it. You're pushing off of it. I don't think you can do that. Yeah, I don't – I think he's much more likely a candidate to be returned next week. But So we're probably going to see Connor Murphy. So it would have been nice to see him get – you know, even if it's – Four or five plays in a game, just subbing yep. him in every once in a while, especially against Stanford because they were huddling up. You were having opportunities to, to sub. And, and John Nansen talked to, said that they would like to get those guys, especially going forward now, uh, to get them five to ten plays a game, him and, and Wole as well. So you, you saw some substitutions on the defensive line. That's normal. Would like to see maybe a little bit more. Maybe even Jordan Isefa in for a couple plays for Jordan, uh, for John Houston here and there. He did go in for a couple plays before the half when John Houston had the stinger. John Houston, another guy that's questionable. So we yeah. might see more Jordan Isefa. So uh, those you want to have those guys getting a little bit of playing time in a game because even Nansen said yesterday, he said the only way they're going to learn is playing in the game. Exactly. And I also think it just helps with morale. I mean, you can't not – play guys or just kind of shut out guys without it affecting either their confidence or how they feel about the team or whatever. Um, I mean, even just I was noticing yesterday at Wednesday practice or whatever, uh, Clancy, when he, when he instructs the team during like scout or team periods, he faces the starters on the field and then the rest of the guys on the sideline, his back is to them. And then after he tells them, he goes, do you guys hear that? You got that? 
And so, I mean, I just, like, I feel like that would start to annoy you at some point. I mean, granted, it comes with the territory. It's coaching, whatever. But I feel like if you're at least getting the reward of getting some playing time, some reps or whatever, that would help you deal with, you know, his tendencies that maybe players might not like. Yeah, but Clancy is an NFL coach. He's all about playing his best 11. And the players know that. They understand that, I think, when, when you come here. But also, uh, if you prove yourself in practice, he'll give you an opportunity. So, you know, we've seen some guys sub in, especially on defense lines. Isaiah Langley played a couple plays at, at DB. Um, and then last year, you saw Marvell Tell, you know, worked his way into the rotation. So he and Chris Hawkins were switching back and forth yeah, as true. a sophomore. Uh, so, you know, if you earn your keep, you can earn your keep in practice. But you, you got to do it there before you're going to get an opportunity in the game. But I would still like to see 90.4% of the snaps last game were the starters on defense. Oh, crazy. Um, this is kind of a cop-out a little bit. I don't know if I really agree with this. kind of want to more pick your brain on it. Uh, maybe read a place kicker in the future. If, to, if you – I mean, they haven't even been tested. No field goals yet. If you need range or if you need – I mean, granted, Reed needs to, like, get his, his act together as far as getting that range back as a place kicker. But, I mean, Chase has some accuracy problems that sometimes in practice – could you see potentially Reed taking over? No. Okay. No, I got Chase McGrath sticking there. Uh, and unless there's an injury, I think Chase McGrath's the guy. Okay. Sells that one. <laughs> got anything else? I'm done for Keep It Change It. Okay. Now it's time for the one of my favorite parts. I guess every part is my favorite part. I'm, this is my favorite part. And this is my favorite part. And this is my, it's the best. That's how I am with everything in love. Everything's great. Everything's perfect. Hey, it's good to have a positive outlook. It's true. Uh, we're dubbing this solo shot. Because I wanted to have a pun with your name. Um, <laughs> this is where I get You're to. You're so punny. This is where I get to pick shotguns brain. Um, first off, where were you for Texas USC? You asked me this in practice, or no? I asked you this. Uh, we were leaving Stanford game. Yeah, and I was like, I don't, I don't know. And then you started rallying off, and I was like, save it, save it for the podcast. Don't say anything. <laughs> 2006. So I was in college at the time. Um, I was working every summer, every uh, fall break, every winter break to make money for college. So since it was January, I'm assuming I was working back home in Georgia before going back to school. Uh, or maybe we had a, we had what was called a J term. I don't I don't know that this is I don't know if it's common around the country, but we had what was called J term. So you had one class for three weeks. And that was it. You were done. So you had three hours. I wanted J-turn. But that was the only class you had. You were there for, I don't know, four or five hours a day. Maybe, maybe not that much. That would have been so convenient. Uh, so it was great. I had stats. It was the only math class I had in college because I had a bunch of math credits worked up before I got to college. So I had stats one year, and I had three weeks. The only math I took in college was three weeks. That's nice. So that was sweet. Uh, I had garbology as a class, which is the study of garbage. No. Yes. You're making that up. Garbology? No, garbology. It was a great wow. class, too. It was fun. You have to learn how, how bad we are as humans at destroying our earth. Um, but so I'm either, I was either at home in Georgia working, probably helping my brother-in-law do plumbing work. I remember one December it being like 12 degrees outside and I was digging a trench out in the yard for a guy that uh, was one of the original Home Depot employees. <laughs> so I was either doing something like that or I was in class in, in Tennessee. Wow, there you have it. The shotgun tangent of the podcast. I remember watching the game. I remember, so you're basically like every other player. Like, I remember watching the game, but nothing really was Yeah, I don't remember where I was. I was rooting for Texas because I'm always anti-dynasty. <laughs> and I, you know, I had no interest in USC at the time. I didn't, you know, even... Did you ever expect you'd be out here covering USC? No. 
Do you want to go on a tangent? We can go on a tangent. How <laughs> no, I, I don't up, want your life story. How I ended we don't up have at, enough time for that. How I ended up at USC was because I saw a flyer at my school, a small school in Tennessee, a Division three school. I saw a flyer by USC about journalism, and we didn't have a bunch of journalism classes, so after school, I was like, oh, I probably should learn a little bit more about journalism, so and I started doing research, and they were one of the best programs, so that's how I ended up at USC for grad school. Wow. That's crazy. There now, you have it. Now I'm that's still here. That's a full shotgun tangent. That was a half tangent. Oh, yeah, that's true. Keep going. Um, what else you want to ask? Uh, well, if you were wondering where I was for the Texas game, thanks for asking. What are you, like four? <laughs> I, was, I think I was nine. I was Chris Hawkins' age. So I, I, all I remember is that my sister had friends over watching the game, and I was like a whippersnapper back then. I was just like with the guys football talking i mean not much has really changed since then yeah that's what i was about to say you were a whippersnapper then (laughs) yeah so um i just remember rooting against usc sorry everyone that's i wow both of us yeah i mean i I wasn't really rooting so much like hard or anything i was won a great game and it was fantastic Uh, i was just rooting for the end of a dynasty i i just like a good game i mean i think i was a little bit more bitter i mean i won't get into my fandom as a child because i I feel like i might be disowned but uh yeah so ucla fan no (laughs) okay so my sister went to ucla grew up a ucla fan there there's my dirty laundry everyone someone tweeted me that i needed to be vulnerable this podcast because you were last podcast (laughs) that's me being very vulnerable because it's been four years and and i haven't disclosed and now you have a true sibling rivalry with your sister no, because she went to grad school to USC. So it's, she's, oh. she doesn't even... She's so like, the family has converted, I guess. She says, I root for both. And I'm like, you are not a sports fan if that's the case. <laughs> you can't do that. So whatever. That's my whole... Grade. I never really even rooted for USC. I came here and started working, so... Same. I, no rooting I, interest. I covered the team the moment I got here, so didn't really have time to do anything. What else we got? Oh, as a player, is it hard to go from a slow, methodical team like Stanford to a high-tempo team? Does it, is it like a mindset thing, a body thing? I think there, there are some uh, challenges with it. I won't say it's difficult, but there are some challenges because uh, a lot of the things like you have to be looking to the sideline, are we going to sub this play? Uh, you have to know, you know you're going with – you have to be more conditioned for an up-tempo team than you do for a slow, methodical. But then it's also – you know, Texas is probably an exception. They do have some big offensive linemen like Stanford. Um, but, you know, it's a much more bruising. Stanford's a much more bruising game because they're going to run between the tackles. Everybody's going to get nicked up a little bit in the game. As you, you see it this see, week. Yeah, yeah, you see it. The body uh, blow theory. Yeah, a little bit of the body blow theory. Um, but it, it's different. There's challenges that you have to kind of flip the switch. Like, okay, now we got to get ready to, you know, be looking at the sideline immediately as soon as the play's over to get to play. You have to be ready to sub in if someone's coming for you. You have to sprint off the field. You can't just jog off the field because then you get 12 men on the field type of thing yeah. if they try to go up-tempo. So there are some challenges there, I think. So my follow-up to that is high-tempo plus some new phases on the defense, Connor Murphy, maybe Jordan Iasefa. Is that trouble at all for USC? Uh, there, there could be, uh, there could be some issues there. Uh, however, I think the difference is you got Cam Smith in the middle and I think he's going to get, he and Chris Hawkins behind him are going to get everybody lined up. And, you know, I I think the guys that are out there are just capable of making plays. And I don't think that Texas is great. I think they have yep. a chance to be very good this year still, even though they a lost to Maryland. sleeping giant as held in this The program is a sleeping giant for sure. I think Herman could turn that program into, you know, so, uh, you know a beast again uh, like Mac Brown had. But uh, this, at the beginning of the season, this is when you want to play him. You want to play him yep. early in his tenure before he can establish the culture and everything. And uh, I think USC uh, should win this game. Okay. Uh, 
after USC definitely established they have a very good run game, do you stick with that coming into this, or do you exploit Texas' secondary just because you can? You start with the run. Uh, you pound it down the throw as much as you can, and you go play action, and you get those guys one-on-one because the safeties come up in the box or something, you blow by them, and that's an easy touchdown. So I'm going to start with the run. You always have to start with the run, I think. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, Especially when you got Ronald Jones and Stephen Carr and yeah. Vi and Sed. I mean, that's a, that backfield's pretty good right now. Pretty good. Uh, in your opinion, what was the most interesting fact or thing that you found doing your little participation charts? Uh, I think Rasheem Green playing every snap on defense. I mean, I think it's pretty rare that a defensive lineman plays every snap. Sometimes you see USC in the past with Rasheem Green, Stevie Tui Kolovatu, they play a lot of them, you know, a good percentage, maybe more than you would see at other schools. But, you know, I, I think him playing every single snap, and I thought he was really good, especially late in the game when Stanford was trying to throw. That's when he was getting some double teams and breaking through the double teams and almost getting there uh, for, some, for some plays. I thought, you know, that was one of the ones. What about you? Uh, hey, you know this. You can't just set me up out of nowhere. I can set you up if I want. I thought it was really uh, just interesting that USC didn't go under center the whole game. Yeah, you know, they usually have gone under center anywhere from a couple of snaps to, you know, eight to ten snaps in games you know, in the last year or so. When I think two the first game, zero this game. So it was a little bit different. And, you know, you can do – and maybe they should go under center just to – Create a different look. You know, we talked a little bit about how you got to build on things and you got to give teams looks that they have to prepare for. Um, but, you know, the shotgun and the pistol are working so well. I mean, they passed out of the pistol itself, they, they passed for 26 yards of play. They only passed three times, but that shows you that you, you, they ran 22 plays in the pistol. So 19 of them were runs. That shows you that you continue to pound the ball, and all of a sudden you go a little play action, and that's when you got two big plays uh, back-to-back, the one to Stephen Mitchell and the one to Deontay Burnett were both back-to-back out of the pistol. Uh, that's what you can do when you pound the ball first. So, uh, you know, they were having so much success out of those two formations. They really didn't need to do anything else. didn't really do anything. Um, do you ever get thrown off by people being like, shotgun formation? Like, does it throw you off since that's your name? Nah, not really. Uh, Interesting. Usually, usually you can hear when someone's directing a uh, directing something at you, and sometimes I, I don't pay attention. Like, I never went by my actual first name growing up. So Will you ever reveal that? <laughs> why would I do that? So if someone were to call me that in a class or something, like I wouldn't pay any attention to it. And then my middle name is Michael, uh, as well as my dad, my sister, my brother-in-law. My sister's Michael. Oh wow! Uh, so her mom's German. Oh, that too. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so people would call the house, and they lived with us at one point, and they call for Michael, and be like, oh, which one? So uh-huh. that that helps contribute to the shotgun. So, if somebody calls Michael. I don't. I don't usually pay attention, but you hear it a couple times, and you're like, wait, is they, are they talking to me? Is that, I'm gonna try is that, that randomly on you and see if it works. <laughs> um, I do think we have one of the most unique podcasting host names, Keely and Shotgun. Well, I guess so. We can claim that. You know how they're like, the number one yes, comedy. Yes, we're number one in uniqueness of name. Woo. <laughs> okay, so after the, the performance that USC had against Stanford, I mean, after that, if USC comes to every game playing at that level, playing at the level that we know that they at least for now can play at, is there anything? Is there anyone on, on USC's schedule that you're concerned that just talent they can't beat. Not on the current schedule. Yeah. No, you either. get to the playoff, maybe, you know. No, you can no, no, no. It's current schedule. You current schedule, no. No. If they play like they did against Stanford, I don't see anybody beating them. So run the table? That current schedule. Run it. Um, All right, Chris Brown. 
Oh, I already asked you this. Okay, let's take some board questions. Uh, Rojo Heisman potential. Going to be tough because Sam Darnold's going to steal all the uh, attention there. Your quarterback's always going to have more attention, so unless it is a featured offense and they want to be balanced, so the quarterback's going to get more attention. So would be really tough for him. Um, two years, said it before, two years, Stephen Carr maybe, because we don't know who the quarterback necessarily will be then. Sam will definitely be gone in two years. Yeah. But as a junior, you know, I think Stephen, Stephen Carr, Carr could be. Yeah, that's, that's a good one to bet on. Um, we kind of already touched on this in the Facebook Live, so if you heard that, sorry, but we're going to get back into it. Uh, Gerard asked about uh, Gerard Martinez said an uh, interesting post on our boards about how when Rojo was in his recruitment period in high school, he was kind of getting interest from Texas, but te- Tommy Robinson was the running backs coach there and didn't really contact him at all. Thus, you, eventually, Rojo came to USC. Um, and then, so did Tommy Robinson. For what? Rojo's second year, Tommy Robinson became the running backs coach. Um, and if you look at Rojo's stats, he kind of had a little bit of a sophomore slump. Not necessarily his fault, I guess. I mean, he had such a great freshman year. There might be—is that unfair to have expectations that he has the same results in sophomore year? But do you think that little coaching tiff uh, maybe we, when plays I, into it? I don't know if there was necessarily a tiff. Not I, a tiff. I shouldn't start, start drama. <laughs> I don't think there was drama between Tommy Robinson and Rojo. Um, you know, Rojo lived in Austin growing up. I wrote about it today. You can check out or uh, on Thursday. You can check out the story. Plug, plug, plug it. Uh, yeah, on uh, on uscfootball.com. Uh, he grew up in Austin. That's where he was in his elementary years. You know, he's got family there still. His sister lives in Austin now. She actually works for the University of Tennessee. I mean, uh, or University of Texas. Sorry, <laughs> that's my my background being near Tennessee. Um, so she works for in you know, one of the. I think I would have to look up the actual title, but she does some multimedia stuff for them. Um, so. You know, there was a connection there. There definitely was a connection. And he probably would have been interested in Texas and potentially would have, you know, uh, that would have been one of his final schools. And when he narrowed his schools down, Texas wasn't even involved. Now, he, his junior year as a high schooler, he went to, he spent, you know, I asked Rojo about how important his family is, and he said that's all that matters. And that tells you, he took his Thanksgiving, because Texas plays on Thanksgiving every year, his Thanksgiving, his, his uh, junior year, and went to the Texas game uh, from McKinney, so drove the three and a half hours or flew uh, down there. and went. So instead of spending it with family on a holiday, he went to the Texas. That tells you how interested he was, at least, yeah. um, that he spent a holiday instead of with his family went to a, the, a Texas, Texas Tech game. Two weeks later, Mac Brown announces he's resigning. A couple, of, you know, a couple weeks later after that, they hired Charlie Strong. It goes, three months goes by before he actually gets an offer from Texas. Now, Mac Brown, when he was a coach at Texas, did not offer a guy. He was very old school. He didn't offer a guy until unless it was like a commendable offer. How we talk about now, how offers now are just, you know, it's kind of a hello to players. You know, so Charlie Strong and that staff, the, they didn't have the same philosophy as Mac Brown. But they waited three months before they actually offered him. And then it was kind of just a hello rather than an actual. So maybe a month goes by, he announces his top five, he actually commits to Oklahoma State before too long, and then backs off that commitment. Texas never, ever got back into the, the picture with him. Whereas if they would have been on him hard from the begin with, I don't doubt that we'd be seeing him and in, 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 doubt the potential that we'd be seeing him in burnt orange this weekend rather than Cardinal Gold. Crazy, an alternate so, universe. So then he comes to USC and Tommy Robinson, and he does have a sophomore slump. Those first couple, the first five or six games, he only runs for I think less than 300 yards. After you know he'd been, you know, he'd run for almost a thousand his freshman year. But then when Justin Davis got hurt, I think they they uh, 
they changed the offense a little bit to, to suit his style and ran some different plays rather than running between the tackles as much. They ran some stretch plays, stretch zone plays, where he could, you know, he had an option of, of where to cut up. And he, once he makes that one cut, he's, uh, Dylan McCullough said he's like a rocket. Once he puts his, sticks his foot in the ground, he's like a rocket. He just takes off. Um, so I think they changed that, and you saw that in the Cal game in particular, where he had a career high of 223 yards. And then, of course, the, the humble Rojo is like, oh, yeah, I was, just, I was just looking at my keys, just, just focused on my keys. You know, he never really talks much about himself. He'll talk, he gets excited talking about the offensive line. He said this week that, that uh, when they watched the tape against Stanford, it looked like the blindside movie with yeah. how much they were moving guys. Uh, that same game against Cal, he talked about Aka Cedric Ware. You know, he said it was great. You know, because you know, uh, Aka Cedric Ware, I think he had 100 yards or came close to it in that game. So he's quick to talk about other people, not so much himself. So I think it, you know, it played the, the change of the offense had more of a deal than you know necessarily who the running back coach was at that time. Interesting, very interesting. Um, do you think USC, after seeing how they played against Stanford, do you think they previously didn't bring out all the tricks? Come on, everybody Stanford? does this at the beginning of the year. If you play a non-conference game, if you've got a conference game immediately after it, even if USC played Texas the first week, they wouldn't have shown all the tricks, quote unquote. <laughs> So, yeah, of course they didn't bring out all the tricks. But in the sense that people were freaking out that USC didn't look, quote-unquote, good? Well, they didn't look good because they didn't play great. It wasn't so much the play calling, like, oh, we got to save this one play. It was, we didn't catch the ball on third down. That's what they were complaining about. I mean, you had opportunities to continue drives where this week we saw they did with Deontay Burnett making great catches, Jalen Green making a catch for a first down. You, know, you saw those differently than you did that first week, and they tackled much better. When you don't tackle... It's always going to be difficult. You're not going to look good ever when you don't tackle. It's true. It seems to me tackling is a key part of the it's, game of football. It's almost like it's ingrained in the game of football. Wow. Uh, putting you on the spot, game prediction, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, USC will win. And since my, my first two game predictions were so bad. <laughs> uh, your, your Western Michigan one was closer to the Stanford game than it was to Western Michigan. I said 42-6 for the Western Michigan game. You at least got the 42 for Stanford. And I said 27-23 for the Stanford game. So I, got like, I get like one number each, almost, right, each week. Um, a number? I haven't even thought of a number. What do you think? While well, I'm thinking of a number, what do you think the outcome's going to be? Oh, I think USC is going to win. I, just, I'm, I hate number predictions. I want to go with 38-17. to 17. Interesting. I think there are holes in that Texas defense they can exploit, and I think they will. I'm going to say 45-17. Ooh, so since I was, since I normally, when I pre- predict a, a large margin of victory, it's usually close, so expect a close game now. Sorry, guys. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> Reverse psychology, in effect. Uh, whoops. Yeah. But that would be fun. If it was exci- a fun, exciting game, I'd be all about that. I'm all about fun games. It works. <laughs> Makes my, our lives a little bit easier instead of another boring game, I guess. Well. Yeah. It just depends on how the board, how that boring game plays out. That's true. All right. I guess I, there's nothing really else to pick your brain about. We've been going for a while now. so We've been talking between the Facebook Live. We filmed these on, on Thursday. We're a little behind the curtain. Uh, we've been talking for like four straight hours. That's yeah, not true. Something like that. Something like that. Time for some lunch. Yeah, that's true. Arby's. All right. No, Arby's is gross. Sorry. Arby's is great. Curly fries are amazing. But if you want to sponsor us, we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks for listening to our podcast. Um, as always... Follow us on Twitter, Shotgun Sprat, and at Keely is my no, name. Shotgun SPR. Oh, my bad. 
You're trying to trim off my last name and you didn't even trim it right. Jeez. No, I'm actually trying to trim off your followers because I'm trying to get that lead over you. Wow. We were close and then you took off and then I don't, I don't know where you're at now. That's false. I'm I actually don't care. But I didn't even know that there was a competition because I've got another account that's got over 5,000 too. So. Oh, look at you. You're a little D1 baseball. This is because so. you're, you're, my, you're my annoying older brother. It's always a competition. <laughs> always. True. That's true. Um, and guess who's always winning? Me, thank you very much. This guy. No, that's false. Uh, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, uh, tweet at us. Yeah, we'd like to hear what you have to say. We want to, you know, if you have some ideas for some categories or yeah, different. Yeah, we'll take segment yeah. ideas. We might not necessarily do them, but we'll take your ideas. Yeah, we'll, we'll consider everything or things you want us to debate. You know, we want to have a little bit of a debate type of format. So yeah. if you got some questions or concerns like that way. And, you know, we always like feedback. Just let us know. But that's it for me. I'm done talking for the day. Yeah, that's it for me too. Thanks for listening and we'll uh, we'll see you next week.